And now, the Blaze Radio Network presents 40 Acres and a Fool. Here's your host, Cam Edwards. Thanks so much for tuning in to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. I'm your host, Cam Edwards. And, you know, we've been joined by my wife, Miss E., over the past couple of weeks, uh, someone much less attractive, but uh, a, a very good friend of mine, Tommy Graziano, is here. You know, we uh, we talk about the 40 acres where I live, but I work in Farmville, Virginia, not far away. It's a great little town. Uh, NRA News, uh, Cam and Company is on Main Street there in Farmville. And also uh, right off of Main Street, I think, is a, a Farmville institution. If you come to Farmville, you have to eat at Charlie's Waterfront Cafe, and there you will find the institutionalized Tommy Graziano, uh, who is with us. How are you, sir? Pretty good. How are you, man? I'm excellent. Thanks for coming down. Yeah, no problem. So next week, uh, as we record this, uh, March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, I didn't realize this, but uh, you guys do it big here in Farmville. We do. We don't uh, We don't have a whole lot of Irish people, but uh, <laughs> we do it pretty big. We uh, One of the only four places in America that uh, dies a river green. So we've got a river that that's the waterfront and the Charlie's waterfront and that uh, the Appomattox River runs right off the back of the restaurant. And we turn the river green for about three hours. Uh, that's a lot of fun. That's awesome. And got some bagpipers and uh, Irish bands and a lot of alcohol. Guinness on tap. So you should come down. And what time does this start? Uh, we open 7.30 in the morning. So. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. So what time do the bagpipers get there? Uh, the bagpipers get there about 4 in the afternoon. The Irish band starts at 6. And then uh, we green the river up from about 5 until seven until dark, so 7.30. Oh, so. fantastic. All right, because, you know, we I'm on the air until 6 o'clock every afternoon. So I appreciate you you shifting this late in the day. Not just for me, I imagine, but for a lot of other folks who are also employed and who would like to celebrate St. Patrick's Yeah, day. like I said, there's not a whole lot of... Uh, there's not a large Irish contingent here, so people still go to work on St. Patrick's Day. I don't understand it, but uh, they do, because I'm half Irish. You know? Right, right. Half Irish, half Italian? Yeah. Well, Sicilian, but... Okay. You know. Sorry, excuse me. I know, it's a it's, thing. It's, excuse me, I apologize. It's a thing. <laughs> don't, 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 uh, don't tell anybody that I, uh, that I made that mistake. So, uh, how long have you been doing this? Uh, this will be our fifth year. Um, we would have been doing it for about 15, but uh, it took me 10 years to get through the... Uh, Department of Environmental Quality, the red tape, just to be able for to the put, Green River. Yeah, to put uh, food dye in the river. Wow, so, ten years, ten years, Holy ten cow. years in lawyers, so. and uh, and so far we've not had any green fish showing up in the Appomattox River. No, uh, no, no green ducks or stuff like that. <laughs> well, not yet. Although um, <laughs> the first year we did it, the day after, um, and this is a horrible story, but I. As you know me, I'm going to tell it anyway. Uh, they found a body uh, in the reservoir down about 10 miles away, <laughs> down in Chesterfield. Oh. And all I could think to myself was, my God, if that body's green, how much it's going to cost me. So Right. But it wasn't. That's so. good. That's good to know. So yeah. you can come down to uh, Farmville, Virginia, Charlie's Waterfront Cafe. It's, uh, as I said, right off of Main Street, right off of the Appomattox River. Uh, and on St. Patrick's Day, you will have a, a green river, the only one in the state of Virginia. Yep. And only four in the country, so. Where's the, I don't even know where the other closest green river um, would be. I think there's one down in uh, uh, Savannah. Um, well, that's a long one drive. one in San Antonio. That's even longer. And uh, there's one in Chicago. But other than that, and actually the guys from Chicago were very cool about it. They're the ones who told us about the dye, what kind of dye to use and all that, so. They're good folks in Chicago. They are. Bad laws. Great, yeah, Bad cool. laws, crooked politicians, but but uh, but good folks uh, yeah. living there in Chicago. Yeah, the guys who run it were very nice. They talked to us for a few hours about 
15 years ago. <laughs> so. so is this the is this the biggest party that uh, that Charlie's and is this a I guess that Charlie's Waterfront Cafe throws? Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, other than uh, well, it, for people don't know, it's a college town, so we do have some graduations and football games and stuff like that are big. But you know, for uh, for just something that we do, uh-huh. it's the biggest one of the year. Yeah, it's about it, four or five hundred people, so it's not bad. That's big for Farmville. It's a Farm Vegas. Po- it's a tenth of the population. <laughs> it's not too shabby. That's right. That's right. You know, and it's funny to think of Farmville as a, a as a college town. And I know a lot of people just snicker at the name Farmville because they just think of the app. They don't even know that Farmville is a real place. I get that all the time. Farmville's a real place. Yeah. It's a real yes, it is. And Longwood University is here. Hamden Sydney College is here. Uh, so it is a. A, a, a college town, um, and it's interesting how this town has grown just in the past couple of years that that I've been here. I mean, you've you've been in and around the Farmville area most of your life, right? Um, well, I went to school here. Okay, um, then I you grew left. up in Richmond. Yeah, I left and came back. So, but I live in Richmond. So, right. But, but you're I love still Farmville. around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been there. We'll be uh, 21 years in May. So it's a long time for a restaurant. So, so, I mean, how would you describe? how Farmville is changing right now. I mean, it seems like it's, it, it's, it's, uh, I don't want to say upgrading, but it's modernizing. Like the, the Southern States co-op I just read is being turned into student or condos. Yeah. Not student housing, condos, um, condos. I know. At a co-op in Farmville, Tommy. <laughs> condos in Farmville, period. It's insane. <laughs> um, I, you know, the last, uh, the first off the town is very, the town manager and the town council, they're very pro business. Um, they're fantastic. If you want to get, you know, if you want to bring jobs to Farmville, mm-hmm. they'll help you. You know, they'll do things uh, to bring you and to keep you. And of course, we did now at the long would be in a university, which has only been, I think, seven years since they uh, went from a college to a university. But it's huge, and that's the condos. I mean, that's things right. like that. We get uh, people from up north and everything coming to teach and. You know, we don't particularly like them, but you know. <laughs> oh, some of them are all right. Some of them are okay. It is interesting though, uh, because you know when we moved here two years ago, um, well, when we moved to the farm two years ago. When we came down to Farmville, you know, the main street was kind of quiet. A lot of uh, empty storefronts. We're here now. I, I saw across the street from us. There's a uh, a, a gourmet dog treat business yeah. that is uh, going in apparently, and so it, it's cool to see Main Street actually you know becoming revitalized um yeah i I, and part of that i'm sure a huge part of that is the uh, college but you also get people coming in uh to go visit the uh, what is it greenfront furniture right which is a a huge draw it is um it's uh it's our industry i guess right you know they did uh i don't know something like 40 or 50 million dollars in sales last year so i've got a million square feet of show show space it's it's people come from everywhere it's a lot of furniture. A lot of rugs, man. <laughs> it's a lot of rugs. It's a cool yeah. town, though. I got to say, I really do uh, like the fact that my closest town is 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 this one. You know, there's just a lot of I don't know. It's it's, it's got a lot of small town charm. It's got a lot of characters. It's got a lot of history to it, uh, and you know, got characters like you. So, what uh, if you don't mind me asking? So, tell sure. me about your farm. What do you want to know about it? Well, I don't know. I don't know anything about farms. What What made you want? Forty acres. Oh, I've been, I've been. This is the sixth episode, and I think we're still trying to figure get to the get to the root of this. You know, I think part of the problem was after just growing up in the suburbs my entire life, and and you know, my wife grew up in the suburbs, lived in Camden, New Jersey for eight years. Um, this was something that we'd always talked about doing when we were older, right? Like, oh, one day we're going to have a farm. One day, one day, and then 
it just got to the point where my schedule, I mean, look, okay, so you live in Richmond, right? Yeah. You work in Farmville. It's a pretty good commute, all, yeah, about 45 hour. minutes or so, an hour. Yeah. Okay. So my schedule was weird. Restaurant schedules are always weird. My show at the time was 9 to midnight. I uh, would have to go into work, usually right around the time the kids got off the bus. So if I was lucky, I got to see him for 5, 10 minutes during the day. Uh, but it was really the weekends, you know, when I got to, a chance to, to see my kids. And so I said, well, we already have this kind of weird arrangement. And we were renting our house at the time in Northern Virginia. Our lease was coming up. We didn't really want to renew the lease. We wanted to buy a home somewhere. We kept looking in Northern Virginia. Couldn't find anything we wanted. It was just all, you know, you'd go out your front door and you could see 40 other houses. And yeah. it was just, and the, the construction wasn't that good. It was way too overpriced. Uh, so I said, well, let's just do something crazy. Let's just look beyond D.C. And, and, and maybe, you know, I, I, we, we'll make it work. Um, one of the things I think that helped was that the neighborhood that we lived in, we liked the neighborhood, but we just couldn't afford to buy there, right? Yeah. There were a lot of military families. And so I saw these families year after year where mom or dad were deployed for eight, nine months at a time. And I'm thinking, all right, well, these guys can do that. If these families can do that, where dad's away for nine months at a time, you know, even if I had to be away Monday through Thursday, we could do it. We could make it work. Um, we have a lot of truck drivers who listen to the show, and I call them our, our road warriors. Yeah. They're the same thing. They're on the road, you know, week, two weeks, three weeks at a time sometimes. Um, and yet they, they are still family guys. They still make it work. So they were sort of the inspiration for, all right, you can think and be unconventional and see what is out there. And so that's – we just took the plunge. And when we, the more we started looking, the more we realized, yeah, yeah, this is actually something that we really do want to do. Um, it just took us a while to find the right – the right place so how is your wife adjusting to uh farm life you know uh, it just seems from camden new jersey to northern virginia to farmville i think it's uh it's it's a heck of a lot easier to adjust to living on a farm than it is to uh, adjust to living in camden i would imagine you yeah. know i mean if she had seven years in oklahoma in between camden okay uh, and northern virginia but uh, she loves it i mean she she is so handy uh, she is so crafty. She is just, you know, she's great. Uh, she's just very skilled. She can do a lot of stuff, and she likes to do a lot of stuff. So this has been an incredible challenge for her as well, uh, just to, to to push herself to do all these things that she didn't know how to do. So she's making everything from making cheese to milking goats. Um, you know, there are some things we realized, okay, you have this sort of idealized image of what it's going to be, right? And and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, wait, wait, no, I have to spend three hours. I actually have to spend three hours. Like, there's no montage that happens. It really is <laughs> three hours of weeding every Saturday morning. And it is a good hour of weeding every morning before you go to work. Like, you don't get to just, you know, put on Survivor and all of a sudden, like, okay, chores are over. <laughs> that was actually one of the hardest things to get used to is that, yeah, it really does just, you know, it takes time to do these things. Well, that's pretty cool that your wife will do it, though. I mean, my wife, you know. She, uh, this is all on tape. Just remember, this is well, all, this is saying, all she, being my recorded. Wife, your wife can learn how to make cheese. My wife can learn how to call someone. That's what <laughs> the difference is. She, uh, actually, what she can do is learn how to tell me to call someone. So what about the... the did, I, I was going to ask you about this, but I don't know if you've talked about it at all, but you've got coyote traps, right? Did you ever catch one? We have not. We have not. I, uh, I, the other night... son of a gun, aren't oh, they? They're amazing. <laughs> the other night, actually, we're outside, we're walking our dog, and I hear something down in the direction uh, where some of the, the traps are set. And it is an animal in pain, right? It is a screeching, hollering animal. And I think to myself, all right, I, I got one. And it's like 9.30 at night, it's dark now, so I... 
say, all right, grab the flashlight, honey. And we go down there. Uh, and there was nothing in any of the traps. As a matter of fact, we have to rebate the uh, the traps. So what what I heard was actually a coyote eating a rabbit. That's what I heard. I, I heard the the scream of a yeah. dying rabbit the other night, and now I know what that sounds like. So I'm getting I'm getting much better at my wild animal distress identification calls. <laughs> the silence of the rabbits. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> it was an awful sound, but uh, you know, right now with it being with it with 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 spring returning, the nice thing is that there's now more food for the coyotes to eat. So hopefully. Uh, Virginia raw chicken, uh, as opposed to Kentucky fried chicken, will not be on the the menu for the coyotes much longer because now they have clearly rabbits. Uh, we have wild turkey, so uh, when the hens stop roosting in the trees, um, they're going to be, I think, pretty easy prey for the coyotes. Hopefully, there'll still be some around when spring turkey season. So, what uh, what do you bait a trap with? Uh, something that smells like death. I mean, it, it's this it's this kind of gooey paste that uh, it just it smells awful it, it just oh it's, it's it's the worst smell ever but apparently coyotes love it uh can you bring some of that in i yeah i can actually <laughs> right, would, would you would you like to have some fun with well, that yeah, i would as a matter of fact <laughs> we can we can do that for you all right that'd be awesome I'll, I'll bring some in so you were talking to me also aren't you gonna uh you guys are gonna slaughter your own hog yeah we, uh, we this is I think we're going to be talking about this more uh, on a later on a later episode of Forty Acres in a Fool because okay. it's actually a debate. I won't say it's not a um, it's not an argument at this point, but it is a it's an ongoing discussion. Now, you remember this in is our on house. tape. I know, I know. <laughs> it's an ongoing discussion in our house. I have a theory. I'll tell you my 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 working theory of how most people. Uh, eat their food, right? So most people have no connection whatsoever with the food that they eat. They yeah. just go to the store, they they eat it. Hunters don't raise their food, but they kill their food and they butcher their food. F- most of the farmers that I know, not all of them, but most of the farmers that I know raise their food, eat their food, but don't butcher their food. There's always one step missing, yeah. right? Because it is, look, it's, it's, it's hard to raise an animal, to uh, kill that animal, to butcher that animal, and then to eat that animal. I, I think that that is difficult. Now, again, I know that people do it. Uh, I've done it with our chickens. For whatever reason, the hog uh, is, is is a little bit different to me. Yeah. Well, plus there's so much that goes into it, you know, because um, we did it last, last year, and... When I say you didn't we, raise, I mean, but you, you, you. No, it's, I mean the the guy that we get the hogs from, Scott. You mm-hmm. know him, uh, and he raises the hogs, I right? Mean, and then they slaughter them and butcher them, and it's a lot to learn. I mean, that is that's not three hours of weed, and that's because if you do it wrong, you could die. Yeah, you know, right? <laughs> you get trichinosis. Well, exactly. And so to so, me, it just seems like bring them to the butcher, and and plus, oh boy, and it's not <laughs> fun to be there for it. It's not. No. Listen, I, I mean, you know, I just had to, uh, and we didn't, we didn't butcher him, but I just had to put down one of our goats, Mr. Freckles, our our, our farm's oh. mascot, uh, and that was, it was awful, yeah. Tommy. It was awful. So, oh. I, you know, look, I will do it, and I Mr. can do Freckles. it, Mr. Freckles. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. That's just, really. I mean, you're slaughtering Mr. Freckles. I had to, I had to put Mr. Freckles down. Oh. Yeah, it's horrible. He's buried under a uh, under. A, we we planted all kinds of wildflowers under his uh, burial spot. So and buried him deep so the coyotes couldn't get him. Yeah, that's, that's about as good as you can get oh. on a farm. I know, it sucks. But uh, I, so I don't know. That, that's the that's the honest question. Is I don't know. 
Uh, my wife still says, yes, uh, we are going to do this. I'm not quite sure. We, we got to get, I mean, we got to get stuff. Yeah. That's the other thing is that we don't have a block and tackle to uh, to raise the hog up so yeah. we can, you know, uh, bleed it out. I mean, there's just some 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 stuff that we have to get. And I don't, for an extra $50 and for a really reasonable processing fee, I know a guy who does a great job. Yep, me and, too. I was going to give you my guy's name. <laughs> right. So so that's always, you know, that's always, I guess, the, uh, the, the trade-off here, right, is convenience, a la Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Or, you know, actually uh, a... a, a Pushing yourself to do something you haven't done before, and uh, and learning from that experience. So, I hope I don't take the easy way out, honestly. But uh, but I very well might, just because of the time and expense. More the time, I think, than the expense involved here. You know, I mean, this is one of the other things is that I work. You know, I I, I have a I have a job, uh, and so I don't get to spend as much time doing the things on the farm that I would like to be able to do because it's not. And it will never be my full-time job. So there are some things that, you know, I, I recognize that I have to uh, give up complete control over. What do you guys do? Do you uh, do any vegetables or anything like that? Or oh, yeah. that sort of thing? Oh, yeah. You know we do vegetables. I brought you in. Do you remember? That's right. Yeah. Did I don't bring them, in tomatoes. Yeah. 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 Uh, tomatoes, I'll eat. Yeah. That, that, I don't eat vegetables. That, <laughs> tomatoes are fruit. Well, that's mostly what we're yeah. focusing on uh, is are tomatoes. So, yeah, we have... Uh, a bunch of raised garden beds. I think we have something like 75 raised garden beds right now. Uh, we just got our seeds in, so we're doing more than 20 different types of tomatoes, doing uh, sweet and hot peppers, doing uh, five different kinds of potatoes, uh, three or four different kinds of cucumbers, including some pickling cucumbers. Yeah. We got some okra going this year because I love pickled okra. Oh, it's so Sounds good. Disgusting. Oh, it's so good. Oh. It's fantastic. Fried okra. You oh. like fried okra? You know what? That does sound horrible. Really? Okra? Yeah. It's a vegetable. I don't eat vegetables. I can't eat vegetables. You work at a restaurant. I know. We have meat. <laughs> Not even as a side. Nope. That's amazing. <clears throat> That's amazing. <clears throat> All right, listen, we need to take a quick time out. Can you stick around okay. for a couple more minutes? Sure. All right, we're talking with uh, my friend Tommy Graziano from uh, Charlie's Waterfront Cafe here in Farmville. Don't forget, if you are in the Central Virginia area on uh, March 17th, go to Charlie's, see the Green River, the Green Appomattox, hear the bagpipers, hear the Irish music. I'll probably be there once I get off of work at 6 o'clock, probably meaning I will be there after I get off of work at 6 o'clock. Stick around. We've got more 40 Acres and a Fool coming up right after this. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards returns now on the Blaze Radio Network. All right. Well, Tommy Graziano was uh, going to join us for another segment, but unfortunately he had a uh, minor restaurant emergency. I don't believe anything was on fire or anything like that, but uh, he did have to take off. He'll join us again at some point in the future. And uh, if you are in the Central Virginia area, sounds like St. Patrick's Day is going to be a lot of fun. I actually was not here last year for the St. Patrick's Day uh, party. So this will be my first year in attendance, and uh, who knows, maybe I'll see you out here. I saw a story on uh, CNN Money not long ago. You've probably seen this story as well. It's all over the place. It's called the Flow Hive. It's a new uh, kind of beehive that a, a couple of uh, fellows in Australia, father-son team, have invented. They've raised something like $5.5 million, more than that, I'm sure, by now, on uh, Indiegogo for this new hive, which... 
uh, is it purports to uh, allow you to harvest the honey by simply uh, pulling a tap, and the honey comes out of the outside of the hive. You don't have to interact with the bees at all. You don't have to take apart the hive. You don't have to pull the boxes out and the screens out. Um, it is just you, you pull the tap, and ta-da, there's the honey. As with everything else in the world today, this is um, controversial, believe it or not. And the controversy is that it is not over whether or not this works. Um, the controversy appears to be whether or not it is a good thing to make it this easy to harvest the honey. Cedar Anderson and his dad, Stuart, uh, are the uh, inventors of the flow hive. And according to uh, CNN Money, they say their method is good for the bees because it doesn't disturb them. It's great for beginners. Uh, now, Cedar Anderson said, of course, they still need to know what they're doing. But Flow Hive takes almost all of the work out of harvesting, which people wanting to get into beekeeping have rightly seen as a major obstacle in getting started. Now, some beekeepers say that the problem is that this does take almost all of the work out of harvesting. <laughs> um, and, and while that may be a reason why people wanting to get into beekeeping have, have not, um, interacting with the bees is an integral part of being a, a beekeeper. Managing your hive is an integral part of being a beekeeper. This is not the same as allowing wild bees uh, to live on your property or to uh, uh, set up a, a home in your uh, in your eaves uh, or or in the uh, trunk of a rotten tree and and just letting them uh, pollinate your flowers. That's not what this is about. This is agriculture. These animals are under your care. They may be little tiny insects, but they're still your critters. Andrew Code is the founder of the New York City Beekeepers Association. He says uh, one does need to do hive inspections, check for disease, check for virility of the queen, make sure that things are going well on the hive. In other words, you do have to still interact uh, with those creatures. Cedar Anderson himself uh, says, yeah, with any beehive, beekeepers need to check how their hive's going and ensure that their bees are happy and healthy. There may still be a need to open up the box, which means that you are still, in the end, going to have to know what it is that you're doing. Uh, Andrew Coate with the uh, New York City Beekeepers Association says that uh, he thinks people should spend a, a, a year, at least, uh, learning, taking a course, uh, being an apprentice before they take on owning a hive on their own. And, you know, we've talked about this, I, I think, on the program a little bit. My wife took beekeeping classes last uh, last winter with the idea that maybe this year we would uh, embark on our beekeeping activities. And I think we've decided to put it off uh, another year simply because, you know, we just, we, hey, we don't, I, what it boils down to is I don't think we have the time. She doesn't think we have the time uh, to do it properly. It is a it is a big endeavor to take on the responsibilities of uh, of, of a hive. Um, you do have to a there's the construction of the hive itself, but then there's the the, the care of the hive, and it is a little bit more uh, involved. I don't want to be a a, a helicopter uh, farmer or gardener where I'm you know constantly hovering over my uh, my critters, but it, it does take some management and we have enough on our plates, uh, so to speak, right now. So we'll probably wait another year. We have been following the Flow Hive with uh, with a great deal of interest, and I have heard those concerns uh, 
uh, in complaints from local beekeepers as well that uh, they're, they're, they're not really sure this is such a great thing. Because I, I think what's more important to existing beekeepers, to a lot of them anyway, than uh, ease or uh, convenience is they want to make sure that the, the beekeepers who, uh, who do get into this are, are in it for the long haul and are serious about it. I mean, I think that's ultimately where, where the concern comes, comes down to, that uh, a lot of existing beekeepers are afraid that this is going to bring in folks with a casual interest, folks who will lose interest, uh, and that the bees uh, will actually uh, suffer uh, as a result. This will uh, end up to be not such a good thing. And you know what? It is a valid concern, right? I mean, don't we see this every Easter when parents around the country say, oh, let's get Junior a little baby bunny, or you know, we're going to get Sally a, a cute little chick. And then, uh, you know, three weeks, a month goes by, and they realize that the little bunny doesn't stay little, that the uh, cute little yellow chick is, is turning into this awkward teenager of a chicken. Uh, and they realize, we don't want this in the house. We don't, we don't, we don't want this in the yard. We can't, we can't care for this. And you see the stories, right, of the shelters that uh, are, are full up with uh, Easter critters. So, uh, you know, I look, we're not going to see animal shelters uh, filled with hundreds of thousands of bees. That's not going to happen, right? I mean, the bees will just they'll, – they'll, they'll, they'll probably just die. And the uh, folks who had this casual interest that uh, isn't sustained, um, they'll maybe shrug their shoulders and, and, and move on to – uh, the next activity that they want to try out. So I do see the concern. Um, I'm, I don't know what you do about it. You know, you can't you can't ban the flow hive. Uh, that's not going to work any more than you know banning guns or uh, banning ammunition is going to work to uh, reduce violent crime or to educate people how to be responsible with firearms. I mean, that, that really is the issue here, isn't it? It's about educating those who want to uh, uh, own and care for bees, no matter what form their hive takes, right? Uh, you want to make sure that they have the access to that education and that they understand the uh, the seriousness of what it is that they are uh, about to undertake. Now, again, I don't think required classes uh, is the answer. I don't think that uh, uh, you know mandating people get certification from the state uh, to, in order to become a beekeeper. Uh, that's certainly not the answer. The answer comes within, I think, the beekeeping community, and maybe we're even starting to see that, where the beekeepers are are telling those uh, prospective customers, those, those who might be interested in raising bees for the very first time. They're the ones who are right now saying, Hey, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Hey, you do need to get uh, training. You do need to uh, understand what it is that you're doing. And there is a, a, a learning curve here. Hopefully that works. Um, we have seen, I think growth in uh, beekeeping just over the past couple of years, uh, even before the, the flow hive story came to light, I think more people are becoming interested. Uh, and I think it goes back to more than it's, it's more than just honey, right? I mean, it is sort of the idea that we want to know 
where the food on our plate came from. And if we know that it came from our place, if we know that, uh, that we were in part responsible uh, for harvesting this food, for raising this food, that we feel better about it. We feel better about the food that we're eating. So I think that this is part and parcel of that, uh, that, that phenomenon that we're seeing around the country. It's just that, uh, you know, it's, it's, I suppose it's one thing for somebody to say, I'm going to garden for the first time. And they don't provide enough uh, water. They don't provide enough uh, sunlight. The, the plants don't do well, right? That sucks. Um, and, and, it's, and frankly, it's probably going to happen. Last spring, we, uh, we screwed up. We put up our, our uh, little seedlings in seed pots that were too shallow, could not get a, a good enough root. And when we transplanted them out into the garden, we lost over half of everything that we had planted. We were able to uh, supplement with the help of our um, one of our local greenhouses, but we, we lost a lot of our stuff, and it was, it was really depressing. To, uh, to lose a hive uh, like that, 50,000 bees, on the other hand, um, that's, that's more than a little depressing. You know, that is, at the very least, uh, at the very least, it is a waste. Uh, At the very least, it is an abdication of your responsibility to those creatures uh, under your care, right? So I think that the uh, the hearts of the beekeepers are in the right place. Um, I'm glad to see that it's not necessarily uh, taking the form of a scolding, but more in the form of a uh, an educational campaign. I think that's always much, much more effective. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because I do know that we've got uh, folks out there who are interested in raising bees, maybe some folks who, uh, who are raising bees. So what do you think about the flow hive? Is this going to be a great time-saving device? Uh, is this going to be a another challenge? for uh, existing beekeepers in order to, uh, to help people understand what really goes in to raising bees. would love to hear from you. Our email address is 40acrefool at gmail.com. That is 40acrefool at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, us. You can follow me on Twitter, at Cam Edwards. On Facebook, it is facebook.com slash Cam Edwards 2A. And we will be back with more 40 Acres and a Fool right after this quick break. You're listening to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. Thanks again for being a part of the program. And if you would like to uh, really be a part of the program, you can always email us the email address 40acrefool at gmail.com. That's 40acrefool at gmail.com. Uh, heard from Arturo, who uh, has followed us over from NRA News, Cam and Company, and thank you for doing that, Arturo. Arturo says, if you like chickens, 
you're probably going to love ducks. I, too, am looking to make the transition from urban to rural and growing as much of our own food as possible. We've already been gardening and growing vegetables for a couple of seasons now. That's awesome, Arturo. And uh, you know what? We probably would like ducks. We've actually uh, thought about this. Uh, the local tractor supply had, uh, this time of year, they always have chicks for sale, and they do have uh, ducklings for sale as well. We've thought about it because you don't actually need a pond for your ducks. <laughs> And they, you don't. They can, they can, they can wander around without uh, having a place to swim. Or you can get a kiddie pool, and they can, uh, you know, uh, uh, be perfectly fine in the uh, kiddie pool. It's just that uh, right now, I, I feel weird introducing any more poultry to my property while we have the uh, the coyotes around. We we've got to we've got to protect what we have first before I introduce any more. As a matter of fact, we have uh, fifteen pullets that are uh, coming in a few weeks. And so we, we th- th- this is probably going to be for the next 40 Acres in a Fool, but I think we may have found the uh, the portable uh, chicken run that we've been looking for. I, 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 we've thought about, you know, the chicken tractor that uh, Joel Salatin of Polyface Farms has, and you move the chickens uh, every day. The problem with that is the, uh, the pasture where we were thinking about doing that, uh, we've now decided to, uh, to let our neighbor... Uh, use uh, to uh, to plant uh, grain for his cattle, and we'll we'll be able to pull off a little bit of hay uh, for our animals as well. But I mean, it's not being used at this point, and it it really uh, I, I want to make sure that our land is going to good use. So where we would put the chicken tractor has um, it's not available uh, at this point. So we're looking at at some sort of run for our chickens, which means they're going to be not. I mean, actually, technically, they would still be free range, but they wouldn't be free, free range. Uh, then again, we also wouldn't have to worry about the coyotes taking them. Also heard from Russell, uh, who says, Cam, love the new show. I wish you could put it out more than once a week. Uh, you and I, well, and I appreciate that, Russell, but, uh, you know, it's really hard, actually. You, you don't, I, I did not think that uh, being able to to do a one-hour-a-week podcast would, would be that much more work, but... Uh, you know, I forgot that uh, radio does not involve just sitting down in front of the microphone and then opening your mouth. You actually have to kind of plan things out. So once a week for now, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of dreading the summer. I know that we're going to be doing some of these episodes uh, maybe even in the garden uh, mid-weeding or, or mid-planting just uh, to find the time here. Russell says, you and I are a lot alike. I worked in radio in my younger days. I have a love of the outdoors and firearms, and I moved on to my 40 acres about a year and a half ago. Russell says, I'm lucky to live in the North Georgia foothills. I've traveled all over the United States, and this place is like heaven on earth. It's kind of how I feel about my place, Russell. Good for you. Russell says, we also have pigs and goats, as well as a horse. We had chickens briefly. He said, we had 14 chicks in our house for a month last year until they feathered out. Oh, I remember those days, Russell. Oh, I remember those days when we first got our, our first round of chickens for six weeks. We had 31 chicks uh, living in our house for about six weeks, and they got bigger. And they were in a cardboard box, and they were uh, in Miss E's office space, and that's where they stayed. And we had to keep making the cardboard box bigger. Obviously, we had to keep cleaning out the cardboard box. By the end of the six weeks, there was so much dust and dirt, and just you can imagine you know, the, the yuck uh, that was just there in that room oh is awful such a such a chore to clean that room after we got rid of the chickens uh and so we decided no more chickens in our house after that 
you may actually have come to that same decision. Uh, you say uh, you had 14 chicks in the house for a month until they feathered out. You moved them to the coop where they lived happily for three days, for three days, and then they were all gone. Who knew, Russell writes, that Georgia had weasels? I didn't know that Georgia had weasels, Russell. That is, that's awful. That I Really, there is, it's hard enough when you lose one chicken or, or any livestock to a predator. Uh, but to lose them all is just awful. I remember uh, actually at the NRA annual meeting in Houston, you know, we've got the NRA annual meeting coming up April 10th, 11th, and 12th in Nashville, Tennessee. A couple of years ago in Houston, I was having dinner with a friend of mine named Don Teague, who's a, a news anchor down there. And Don has a place as well. Don's awesome. Don's an amazing guy, and he and his wife are just fantastic. Uh, and they had chickens, and they had not been able to put the chickens up before they left for dinner. And when they uh, when they came back, they found that all of their chickens, uh, who were roosting in a in an open area, they they weren't able to get to the coop. But they you know at, when nighttime comes, the chickens stop moving. They're just they're just where they are. These chickens had just been uh, torn up, uh, Don thinks, by a fox. And he lost all of his chickens but one that night. Now, Russell says, uh, that was lesson one. Rebuild the chicken coop and make it weasel-proof. Russell says, we've been learning many more lessons, however, such as when you drive feed down to the barn, the goats will get in the truck if you leave the door open. (laughs) We also learned that pigs love pumpkins. Oh, they do. They do, Russell. We made a deal, he says, with two local churches. They gave us all the leftover pumpkins the day after Halloween from their fundraiser. Picture a cattle truck almost filled to the top with pumpkins. As a bonus, we learned that pumpkins are also a natural dewormer. So for a month and a half, the goats and the pigs enjoyed all the pumpkins they wanted, free food and orange pigs. You know, we uh, we didn't actually go to a local church, but we found a farm, Russell, uh, that uh, had a pumpkin patch. And after Halloween, there really is no need uh, there's no desire for people to buy pumpkins anymore. And so this farmer had all these pumpkins out in his field, and he said, 20 bucks to fill up the bed of your pickup truck with as many pumpkins as you want. I think we went there twice uh, and filled up the uh, the back of the truck with pumpkins and our pigs too. The goats didn't seem to like the pumpkins as much as the pigs did, but the pigs loved the pumpkins. And so for uh, about two months, uh, we were able to feed our hogs off of the uh, the pumpkins that we got. We thought, too, that we had saved some seeds. There were some really cool uh, pie pumpkins. There was one called, I think it was called Fairy Tail. We thought that we had saved some seeds from uh, from this pumpkin, but apparently we didn't. So going to have to uh, maybe even order some this year. Although we're actually debating right now whether or not we even want to grow pumpkins uh, for anything other than the pigs. We have pumpkin right now in our freezer that uh, probably needs to be made into a pie. So I, I think... Uh, the pumpkins that we grow this year, decorations, jack-o'-lanterns, but yeah, mostly feed. Uh, Russell says, we're still learning about pigs, however, such as how hard it is to find a good butcher and how important it is to raise the correct pigs, but we keep learning and we keep having fun. The kids will spend every possible hour outdoors now, and my son can often be seen having long conversations with the horse or the goats. You know, isn't that just so cool to see that, Russell, when you... uh, when you get to see your children enjoying this. Because, I, I mean, I realized when my wife and I decided to move to the farm, this was our dream. This wasn't this wasn't necessarily the dream uh, that our kids had. And it was a tough adjustment, actually, uh, for a couple of our kids. 
who had grown up in the D.C. suburbs, and that was was the only life that they knew. They didn't have any problem <laughs> with living in the D.C. suburbs. They liked it. Uh, they couldn't understand why we were moving away from civilization and why we were taking them away from their friends. But when you have those moments, um, whether it's seeing your uh, your kid uh, having a conversation with the horse or the goats or, uh, uh, in the case of one of my children, singing uh, to a lamb, or, or even uh, when they make their, their, their friends at their new school uh, or they try out for an athletic team, but they get involved. They, they, they start putting down their feet and their roots in the community that you live in. That, and that community, by the way, can even be your 40 acres. That, 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 that can't help uh, but make you feel good. Now, as far as finding a good butcher... I'll tell you what we did. Obviously, I, I don't know a lot of folks in uh, North Georgia, Russell, uh, to help you out specifically. But uh, what we did when we were looking for a butcher was uh, to find basically the guy that everybody recommended for deer processing. Uh, and it turned out that this guy also does hogs as well. He uh, he knows his way around a hog. Um, the fellow that we used and and may still use. We're again, this is probably this this may be next. Weeks, uh, 40 acres in a full, a, a segment, whether or not we are actually going to butcher our own hogs or whether we are going to continue to uh, let somebody else butcher them. This is a, a uh, I won't say it's a roiling debate right now in our house, but it is, it's bubbling up now and then. Uh, but uh, the the fellow that, that we found to, uh, to butcher our hogs, great guy. Now, this is not a commercial processing facility, so we, um, we can't, sell our pork but we can eat it ourselves we can uh, give it as uh, to our friends uh, who we love and who we want to share our bacon uh, and our hams and our, our pork loins but we can't go to the farmer's market and and sell our bacon uh, in order to do that we would have to drive a couple of hours the closest place that i've been able to find uh, is up in harrisonburg which is uh, in the shenandoah valley uh, way north of where we are, a couple hours north of where we are, and it just doesn't make with the with the number of hogs that we have. I mean, we have seven right now, and six of them maybe are going to get turned into bacon, and they're not all going to go at the same time. So it just doesn't make a lot of sense for us to drive two hours uh, each way to get a hog done. So I, I don't know if that's a if that's an option for you, Russell. But uh, you know, ask around, find the uh, the guys who uh, who are processing a lot of the deer uh, there in the area, and, and I'm guessing that they will be able to uh, to handle your your uh, your pig as well. Our our, our uh, butcher is great. I mean, we are able to tell them exactly what we want in terms of the cuts of meat. Um, he's very very reasonable. In fact, uh, the first year, you know, we were here, we didn't even have a way to get the pigs to him. And for a, uh, I think it was like $50, he came out with his trailer and we uh, wrangled the pigs into the back of his trailer and, uh, and he drove off. And a couple of days later, we were able to come pick up our, our pork. It was fantastic. Um, so good luck to you with that. And then, you know, the other option is to actually butcher your own hogs, which again, we'll probably talk more about on the uh, next edition of 40 acres and a fool uh russell says listening to your show is great like you said it's like visiting an old friend i had to laugh at you running out of propane our first year russell says we ran out of propane the day before thanksgiving what's worse russell said i had no idea how much propane two heaters a water heater and a gas stove could use in a month 
I found out that same year when we ran out of propane again on Christmas Day while dinner was in the oven. My kids will be telling the story for years of the Christmas we finished Christmas dinner on camp stoves and we all slept in front of the fireplace freezing our butts off. Good time, says Russell. So my my kids, uh, the older kids anyway, remember uh, Christmas at Hooters. That's our that's our Christmas dinner. Maybe one day I'll uh, I'll tell that story. But you know, it, it, and I'm glad to know that I'm not the only one that this has happened to Russell. I have to say, because it is kind of embarrassing. The first year, we didn't even realize that we had a, a propane system for the uh, downstairs uh, part of the house. <laughs> we, just, we just didn't, and and so couldn't figure out why it was so cold all of a sudden and why the heat wasn't coming on and the called the uh, uh, repairman to come out and take a look at the uh, at the uh, heat pumps, and, and he said, well, I, I, here's your problem. <laughs> You're out of propane. Uh, and so that would I almost, you know, okay, fine, that's the gimme, right? I didn't even realize. But then the, the running out again. And you're right. You do use a ton of propane. Uh, we've actually thought right now our, we have an electric stove, and obviously if you listen to this uh, – program, you know that, that uh, Miss E loves to cook. I love to eat. I like to cook as well, but uh, uh, I don't get as much of a chance to do it. But we've got an electric stove, and like one of our dreams is to run a propane line uh, to the kitchen to uh, be able to get a really great stove, just an awesome stove, because we've never had, as much as my wife loves to cook, we've never had a cool stove. Right, it's always been the very basic uh, uh, model, uh, and because we've you know either we've lived in rent houses and we haven't owned our appliances, um, or it's just we've never been able to. That's never been a priority. It's never been something that we could you know afford to uh, to upgrade. But one day, one day we will. But I do worry about that, Russell. Like how much more propane we're going to use and how much more expensive going to uh, uh, become to cook. Uh, hopefully it would translate into lower electric bills, but uh, you never know. Now, Russell says, we're also planning this year's uh, spring garden. I promised the wife to build several raised beds, and I plan to use your idea of the Florida fence for the tomatoes. A greenhouse is in the planning stages as well. Sadly, there are only so many weekends in a month. Yeah. Yeah. Funny story about that. You know, uh, I talked about our greenhouse a few weeks ago, and we uh, were able to get up the frame in a weekend, and so all we had left where to put the panels in. And I thought, well, I mean, we're done with the hard part, right? <laughs> Wrong. So we had to wait a few weeks because there was snow on the ground. There was no way we could really work uh, out there. But this past weekend, uh, we were able to get out. It was a uh, sunny, somewhat windy day. We start putting together the uh, the panels for the, the, the roof vents. And we realized very quickly that... Um, as, as, as well put together as the frame of the uh, greenhouse uh, is and as well designed uh, as the uh, frame of the greenhouse is, the, putting on the panels is awful. Uh, you've got to attach these little plastic frames to the polycarbonate panels, and just it's not wide enough. And so we spent like a good two hours putting together just these four little vent panels. And so uh, I have to tell you, Russell, I think as, as much as I would love to have my greenhouse and as much as we thought we were going to have our greenhouse ready to go, you're right, there are only so many weekends in a month. And now that the weather's getting warmer, uh, all of a sudden, you know, we could build a greenhouse or we could instead uh, be actually working in the garden. We could be planting. I mean, it's time for us to put beets down right now. 
Uh, we have to uh, mulch all of the, uh, the raised garden beds. I mean, there's a lot of work to be done. So I don't know when our greenhouse is going to be completed. Uh, right now it is standing up in its green frame, mocking me every day. But it is much more important to get the uh, the vegetables into the ground. So we're probably going to go ahead and put up the shelving this weekend in the house in front of every window again. And uh, that's where our seed pots for the tomatoes and the peppers and the cucumbers and more will soon be residing. All right, we're going to take a, a quick time out. Russell, again, I want to thank you so much for uh, writing in. Russell says, I, I wanted to uh, thank you for giving me an enjoyable hour drive to work once a week. I'll keep listening and uh, visiting with you as an old friend. Look forward to our next visit. And if you ever find yourself in North Georgia, drop me a line. I will certainly do that, Russell. And listen, I, I love to hear uh, from you and from uh, from every other listener out there. Tell me your farm stories. Tell me what you're growing in your garden. Tell me if you've uh, gotten started here. Tell me about your setbacks and what you're learning. We'll be back, actually, uh, with more 40 Acres and a Fool right after this quick timeout. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Forty Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. So I've been reading a book by Eric Greitens, a uh, Navy SEAL, called Resilience, a Hard-Won Wisdom for Living a Better Life. Just came out. As a matter of fact, uh, not long after I finish recording this podcast, I'm going to be uh, talking with Eric Greitens, so I'll, I'll probably have some more thoughts on this next week. But it's a fantastic book, and it, it, it struck me as I was reading this that resilience is actually a lot of what we are talking about here on 40 Acres and a Fool, right? I mean, if resilience is uh, the, the, the process by which we uh, overcome adversity, if it is the, uh, the, the glue that holds us together when things aren't going so well, you know, that's kind of, I guess, what we're talking about here, right? The the learning process. In fact, it's interesting. I'm not going to quote um, a lot from Eric's book. I just tell you to uh, to read it yourself. It's a great book. But he, he talks about some of the components uh, that can help you develop your resilience, maintain your resilience, strengthen your resilience. I'm just going to give you the, uh, the, the chapter titles here. Happiness. Models, not not supermodels, by the way. Although that might go hand in hand with happiness, but 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 people that you can model your behavior off of, identity, habits, responsibility, vocation, philosophy, practice, pain, mastering pain, reflection, friends, mentors, teams, leadership, freedom. All of these components. Uh, again, can help you uh, develop your resiliency. There's a lot of philosophy. Actually, this is a philosophy book. Uh, I, I think it's probably going to be built as a self-help book, but it is a book of, of philosophy by Eric Greitens, and there's a lot of uh, reference to the ancient Greek philosophers. There's a, a lot of great stories. Uh, Eric Greitens has a, a really interesting backstory himself. I mean, it's a, he's got his Ph.D. from Oxford. He's a, a Navy SEAL. He... Um, as a, a charity, a, a nonprofit for uh, for veterans that he runs uh, out of Missouri. He, he's a really interesting guy. Uh, and the book is actually the uh, taken in the form of letters to a uh, 
fellow SEAL who had uh, uh, gotten off of active duty, returned to civilian life, and was having a very, very difficult time adjusting. And so while this is a book of philosophy and it is maybe a, a self-help book in some sense, it is also a very, very personal uh, story of resilience that uh, Eric Greidens has, has written about. I do want to quote one little section here because, you know, one of the things that, that I say every week on the program, um, as we sign off, I say, live a little, learn a lot, right? And this is, as it turns out, uh, one of the keys to developing resilience is to uh, recognize that you don't know everything and to, uh, to actually always keep learning. He writes, America's founders understood philosophy in the same way that the uh, ancient Greeks did. George Washington put on a play about the fall of the Roman Republic for his troops at Valley Forge. Benjamin Franklin, when he was just 21, organized a club of friends called the Junto that met every week to discuss philosophy and public affairs. We still have a list of questions that Franklin wrote to drive the discussions. Have you lately heard of any citizens thriving well and by what means? Have you lately observed any encroachment on the just liberties of the people? Do you know of any fellow citizen who has lately done a worthy action deserving praise and imitation, or who has committed an error proper for us to be warned against and avoid? By the way, it strikes me that, uh, and I I had not known those questions until I uh, I read this book, Resilience, by Eric Reitens, but as I was reading this, I I was just struck. I thought, you know, well, we have the deal of the day, uh, perhaps uh, uh, highlighting those um, folks who have committed an error proper for us to be warned against and avoid. We have our good guys segment on NRA News, Cam and Company, where we do know of a fellow citizen who has lately done a worthy action deserving of praise and imitation. We, we do talk about observations on encroachments on the just liberties of the people. I, I, I think Benjamin Franklin would be a fan of NRA News, Cam and Company. Anyway, Greitens says, if you want to live like a philosopher, do what Franklin did. Seek out good conversation. Philosophy is and always has been a kind of conversation. It's only by engaging with others that we break out of the prison of our own prejudices, our own bad habits, our own fears. That's what we're trying to do together here. He goes on to say, if we recognize that our experience is limited, we should also recognize that our wisdom is limited. There is something about soldiering, he says, about living through a brush with death and being responsible for the lives of others that the non-soldier will never fully understand. There's something about starting and running a small business, about taking risks and being personally responsible for someone uh, someone else's livelihood that those who have never run a business will never quite grasp. There's something about being a parent, about love for a child that a non-parent may never know. There's a certain kind of wisdom available to the soldier, the entrepreneur, the parent, and to people in a hundred other walks of life that you can't know unless you actually live those lives. If we understand this, And if we also reflect on how minuscule our drop of experience is in the vast ocean of human experience, we should stand open to the wisdom that others have to offer. Philosophy, he says, is made to be practiced with others because we all have a lot to learn from each other. And so, with uh, that thought in mind, I will once again give out our uh, email address. What can I learn from you? A 40acrefool at gmail.com is the email address. And let me learn from you this week. I would love to hear from you. I would love to be able to share your stories and your wisdom uh, on the uh, next edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. And until then, I hope that you have a, a fantastic week. Be safe, have fun, live a little, learn a lot. 
and we'll talk to you soon right here on another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. This is 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.